Check. One, two, loudness. Great. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Before I was a minister, I was an ecologist. I mean, I still am, and if you're unlucky enough to hike with me, I will delay the party by two to three hours to stop and look at every pond scum we pass with my field microscope, or I'll be excitedly lecturing on how lichen is actually a parasitic symbiote, or how this tree stump can live for centuries, feeding off the sugars traveling through the underground mycelial network, or something about the genius underwater architecture of beaver dams, and before you know it, we've eaten all the sandwiches and only hiked a mile. My day job as an ecologist was in a laboratory testing water and soil samples for environmental contamination. Some of our biggest clients were oil companies required by the EPA to test the soil around their oil wells so the EPA could tell them how much environmental restoration they needed to do. We worked in a lab full of fancy, delicate, precise testing machines that were totally ruined every time we tested one of these samples. You see, these soil samples would often come to us the way I like to drink my cream and sugar, which is to say coffee-flavored. What I mean is, you didn't need to run these black, smelly, oily jars of soil through the machines to know that they were contaminated. In fact, I often wanted to send a letter back and ask if they had collected the sample from the actual ground or just held it under the oil well hose. Nevertheless, and despite the fact that the contamination was, as we say in the lab, evident and clear, we still had to test the samples. The irony was that we could never, because they would completely gum up the machines and we would never get any kind of scientifically admissible reading on contamination. And because of that, there is oil sitting in the Green River, Utah desert today, sinking into the beautiful desert sand, waiting for a machine that can accurately test what even a child can tell you is contaminated. This isn't a unique situation in our modern world where we design elaborate tests, models, contraptions, and machines to tell us something we can see with our own eyes. And it's not something that belongs exclusively to the modern world, either. We seek to know something, understand how it works, what's inside, where it comes from, and what details we can write down on paper about it. And when we do this, we often miss what's right in front of our own eyes. We distance ourselves from something through seeking to grasp it, 
control how it works, and completely sidestep the obvious, which in many of Jesus' stories shows up as God's grace. Of the many things we heard in today's scripture, it is worth noting that Jesus says, I am the bread of life, not once, but four times in a row to the grumbling crowd. The last time making it unequivocally explicit that his body itself is the bread. And I tell you, after some research, that this translation from the Greek is literal. He means his flesh. Why would someone say something so disgusting? As the crowd grumbles about this deeply weird thing their miracle worker has just said, they reassure themselves by laying out Jesus' lineage, naming his mother, one of his fathers, his hometown, probably his shoe size, his high school grades, and the one time he got beat up by Mickey the neighborhood bully. In short, they try to explain him and his words to distance themselves a little from this wildly insistent man by understanding him, trying to grasp him, showing that he can be explained by simple facts. And yet Jesus can't be measured by their fine-tuned mental machinery. Just like those obviously contaminated samples Jesus gums up the works, breaks down the mental machine, and completely defies definition. And he does it by being obvious. Everything we know about the Jesus story tells us that it was not something to be understood in laboratories, libraries, temples, or mines, but in living, breathing bodies and hearts of real people walking on a real earth. This is a faith of incarnation, a faith that walks with human legs, heals with human hands, loves with a human heart, and feeds human mouths with simple bread. Jesus says four times, I am the bread of life. Jesus breaks our figure-it-out mental machines with his own body. He says before a crowd in an ancient metaphorical laboratory, test me using whatever criteria you want. Whatever list of names you need, whatever litmus papers you can find, it won't work. And what's more, Jesus says, I'll break your texts and confound your poor ministers for millennia with completely unsolvable Zen koans like, everyone who has heard the Father and learns from him comes to me, but no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, only he has seen the Father. Seriously, Jesus, how is that supposed to work? I don't know. But the one thing that I do understand and really, I only understand it because I had to hear it four times and have it made as obvious to me as oil in a dirt jar is that Jesus is the bread of life, the living bread 
the bread that is alive on this earth, right now moving and changing with us. Just eat the bread, he says, rather strangely and simply. Here I am, in front of you, plain as day. My living, breathing body, my human divine body, is also yours. We are together in communion. And not only am I here today, but it will also be here tomorrow. The confounded theological figure-outers in this scripture, like their skeptical Jewish ancestors who received manna in the desert and who are asked to believe, just like this ancestors, that this bread will come tomorrow too. And in fairness, these people are grumbling and doubting and testing and questioning, not because they are bad or mean or bent on destruction, but precisely because they are longing for this offering. Like us, they are longing for simplicity, intimacy, the friendship of God, good bread, and the freedom to live a life full of mystery and wonder. And instead, like us, they've lived lives that force them into skepticism, analysis, judgment, and fear in order to believe something as simple as bread today, bread tomorrow, they have to test it before they can believe it. Because like us, they have been deceived by a hard world too many times before. And so they grumble and like us question what is right in front of their eyes. Jesus says simply, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And unfortunately, a minor mistranslation in this scripture often gets used as a litmus test for true believers. The word Jesus uses, pistis, commonly translated as belief, is actually closer to a plea for trust a declaration that one is trustworthy, a description of one who lives on the promises of God like bread. Don't worry, though, about believing or not believing in a world that has been so difficult, Jesus says. I am standing here before you, and I will stand here before you, asking for your trust with full awareness of the difficulty of what it is I am asking you. Trust that I am here for you. Trust, however hard it may be, that I will return like manna in the desert. We want our gods, our beliefs, and our mysteries in this world to be at arm's length, to be taken apart in a laboratory, to be broken down into lineage, parentage, neighborhood. To have it any closer makes it too painful when it fails. But the mystery and visceral presence of God breaks all categories. I am the bread of life. Eat of this and you shall never hunger. What kind of category is that? Other than let it go, I've got you grace. 
the thing that cannot be understood, cannot be kept at arm's length, and can never really be explained even in 2,000 years of preaching. But the thing which can be felt tonight, touched, tasted, drank, and eaten tonight, the obvious thing we have with us tonight, the thing which needs no test, this is who Jesus wants to be for us and us to be for each other. There is always something in us that wants a brilliant king God on a throne of power who shoots thunderbolts at our enemies and the traffic I just sat in on the way from the mountains and we get a God of water, yeast, and grain. A God that calls us into her her body and enters into ours. A God who speaks in riddles and yet who comes to us broken in the hands of friends. I wouldn't want a laboratory that could ever take that apart. I don't want to understand that. I want to be met, greeted by the body, blood, and heart of a lover submerged in the mystery of one who walks among us, offers herself to us as friend. May it be so, and amen.